Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, so I asked you earlier, I'm not, I'm not too sure what the answer was. Have you got anything on you, like, sharp that can hurt me or you? No. No? Have you ever seen that show called Dirty Jobs? You know, the one where the host climbs into sewage drains and snorkels through feces-infested waters, all for the sake of our entertainment and enjoyment? Yeah, it's pretty entertaining. But the word dirty in the show's title doesn't exactly reflect the most dangerous jobs by any means. The point being, some of the most life-threatening occupations are often overlooked, not only in the United States of America, but across the globe as well. To provide a quick Snapple fact just for fun, the most dangerous career in the U.S. goes out to our tree loggers. And if you've ever seen Final Destination 2, well then you know why and perhaps you're plagued with the same irrational fears every time you hit the highway as I am. In the United Kingdom, however, surprisingly ranked even higher than the steel workers and fishermen on the deadly scale are the jobs of firefighters and police officers. Now, of course, there are protocols in place to keep people safe in every profession. But at the end of the day, procedures are merely guidelines, words on a list somewhere or in an employee handbook. One can train, follow the rules, and play it safe all they want. But what it ultimately boils down to is that the people working these high-risk jobs are precisely that, human beings. And humans, as we know, make mistakes. We know that lacking oversight in an already potentially deadly position can be fatal. That much is obvious. But what might not be as apparent is that sometimes it's somebody else's slip-up that inevitably costs another their life. At roughly 1 a.m. on September 25th, 2020, police spotted a suspicious man walking the streets of London Road in Norbury, South London. That morning, authorities received multiple calls of reported burglaries in the area. And from body cam footage, the man appearing to be in his early 20s is seen dressed all in black. He's rather tall, skinny, and has a dark complexion. He's also wearing a beanie and carrying a duffel bag. Police make contact with the man there on the sidewalk and inform him of why he's being stopped. There's a lot of burglars in this area, and I've just seen you walk. You can just keep your hands out your pockets for now. I'll take I'll take it and have a look in a minute. All right. The reason is there's a lot of burglaries in this area. Okay. It's half one in the morning. I don't know who you are. You probably got a totally legitimate excuse. All right. But at the moment you're walking down the road with a duffel bag. All right. Which I which I believe may have stuff going to quit to do a burglary, all right? From the police body cam footage, the suspect appears to be extremely nervous. His eyes widen as the officers ask him to remove his hands from the front pockets of his peacoat. Both the male and female officer on scene inform the man that he's not in trouble. But after mentioning a robbery, he is seen dropping the duffel bag to the sidewalk and raising his hands high in the air. The male officer then announces their intent to search him. So I'm just going to search you. This pocket, I've got my ID. Perfect. Okay, that's fine. Don't don't put your hands in your pockets. 
Ignoring both of the officer's orders, the man continues rifling through his left side coat pocket and insists on handing over his identification. As they tell him to take his hands out of his pocket for the second time, he again fails to listen and instead pulls out a hospital COVID mask along with his cell phone. Hey, hello, don't put your hands in your pockets, okay? You okay? You're just going to be searched, mate. You're not under arrest. I just need to search you. You okay? All right, just a bit nervous, yeah? The man stammers, admitting that he's nervous. He also mentions something about his parents expecting him home soon and that he must be going. Okay, are they expecting you home? Okay, that's fine. All right, that's fine. Give me two seconds. Give me two seconds. Do you want me to hold that? Sorry, you're not in trouble. By this point, the man is seen physically shaking, smiling nervously and at one point placing his hands to his forehead, seemingly overwhelmed and overcome with anxiety. The female officer tries to calm the man down, informing him that he's not under arrest. This seems to work temporarily as the man still holding his COVID mask and cell phone is seen taking a deep, calming breath. It's at this point he decides it's best to tell the officers precisely what he's got in the bag. In that bag um, is uh, non-medical cannabis. Okay. Okay. How much have you got in there? I've got maybe three or so uh, grams. Okay. All right. While the officers seem to appreciate his confession regarding a few grams of weed in his bag, unfortunately for the man, they still need to conduct the search. The officers again make this clear to the suspect in a calm and rational manner. I'm still going to have to search you, all right? So just pass me your phone and your mask, okay? All my concern is at the moment is if you've got anything on that's going to hurt me or you. Any needles, any razor blades, anything like that. Okay, fine. Because you just told me you've got drugs on you, I'm just going to have to put you in handcuffs while I search you. The reason... What's the matter? So the reason for that is people try and do silly things when we search them. They try and hurt themselves. They try and hurt police officers. All right? Can you take me into the car, please? Why? Don't resist. Listen to me very carefully. I know, I know. Don't resist. Okay, we'll put you in the car, but put handcuffs yeah, in first, yeah? Okay. Is it someone's watching us? Or? Look, and take, take the bag, please. Thank you. After being placed in handcuffs from the front and not behind his back, the man's behavior becomes even more bizarre than before. He asks the officers to place him in the back of the cruiser immediately and insists they take the duffel bag away from him. He looks afraid at this point, almost as if he's being watched. He darts his eyes frantically while scanning the desolate South London streets as though he's scoping them out. Though it's unclear what exactly he's looking at because it's one o'clock in the morning. It's literally just him and the two officers there on the street. Why do you want us to sit you in the car? Just worried, please. Why? Why are you worried? Just, just... You think your parents might see? No. Um... Right, get in the car, mate. The man was then seated in the back of the patrol car. However, he was allowed to sit casually with the door open and his feet hanging outside of the vehicle. As the male officer calls for backup, the suspect is then seen toying with his jacket pocket from inside the cruiser yet again. The officer orders the man to stop once more, a little less politely this time. Don't put your hands in your pockets. Don't do that again. Do you understand? Do you understand? That's the third time you've done that and I've told you not to. Next time, listen to me, next time you're going to be handcuffed to the back. 
All right? Three times I've asked you. You speak perfectly good English. Stop doing it. The female officer then approaches the side of the patrol car to speak with the suspect, calmly explaining to him the reason he is now being detained. Received. At the moment, I've tried to do you a favour by taking you off the street. You've not told me why. I'm just saving you a little bit of embarrassment. Now you've reached into. Stop talking. You've now reached into your pockets three times. I've told you not to. Right. You've now told me you've got drugs on you when I thought you might have had some sort of tool on you to burgle someone's house. So now I'm going to search you. Stood right here, all right, because I don't know what else you've got on you, and I think there's more to this story than you're letting on, despite having drugs on you. From the body cam audio, the male officer's patience has clearly run thin. At this point, he has reason to be concerned for his own safety as well as his partner's. The suspect is then escorted from the patrol car to his feet just outside the vehicle. Okay, so I asked you earlier, I'm not I'm not too sure what the answer was. Have you got anything on you like sharp that can hurt me or you? No. No? The male officer then begins conducting the search, and it isn't long before he finds something. Yeah, canisters. Oh. Oh. And right, at the moment, right. I'm placing you under arrest okay. for possession of what I believe to be bullets. In the suspect's coat pocket, the officer finds seven live rounds of ammunition. However, it takes officers a moment to realize what they actually were. The bullets didn't appear to be a common round, and despite the man claiming that they were fake, the male officer continues patting him down, running his fingers through the inseam of his turtleneck. Officers on scene can then be heard radioing staff at the Windmill Custody Center in Croydon, informing them to make space for the suspect who was soon to be transported. Could I have van and cell space for one male adult arrested for possession of what I believe to be bullets on London Road, junction with Pollard Hill North? The male officer then turns his attention back to the suspect and begins searching through his right pants pocket. The suspect remains silent, with his mouth wide open, almost frozen in shock. He's searching back of him. Hey, Ryan, you've got a cell scar back with me, like. Just hold his jacket up for me. Okay, I'm just going to search your inside leg. Spread your legs slightly for me, thank you. As the two officers continue searching the man from the rear, he can be seen on body camera pressing his right arm awkwardly yet tightly against his left breast. The officers then decide to reposition the suspect's handcuffs from the front to behind his back. Moments later, the bullets are seen being placed into evidence bags. Just then, a paddy wagon pulls up and the suspect is placed into the back of the van. Mind your hands. This episode is proudly brought to you by Rocket Money. You ever sign up for that monthly subscription thinking it's going to make your life so much easier, only to find out you've used it once or twice and then completely forgot about it? Yeah, me too, like with most of them. But thanks to Rocket Money, I actually found one that I've been paying for a long time. It's embarrassing. It was for an e-commerce extension on a website that I haven't touched in over seven years. And you know, this is actually pretty typical. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions, and they might not even remember subscribing to half of those. So if you have no idea just how much you're spending each month or on annual subscriptions, you need Rocket Money. It's this great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, 
and helps you lower your bills all in one place. I love it because I can add all of my different accounts to one app and I can see recurring charges. I can also see upcoming charges, so there's no more surprises. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com invisible. That's rocketmoney.com invisible. rocketmoney.com invisible. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Fabric by Gerber Life. Have you ever gotten one of those terrifying early morning phone calls? The one from someone you almost never hear from. Your stomach immediately drops because you know something is wrong. Most of us have, unfortunately. And when the news on the other end of that line is that someone you care about has passed away unexpectedly, that grief is only compounded when a family is put into financial hardship after a loved one dies. That's when all of the difficult questions are asked, like who's paying for the funeral, or what about last month's rent or utility bill, and if they were a parent, what about their children? As a dad, that's why I chose Fabric. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Seriously, they have so many affordable options and flexible policies that fit your family and your budget. With quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. So if the only coverage you have is that pitifully small policy through your work, consider Fabric. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash invisible. That's meetfabric.com slash invisible. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash invisible. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. From surveillance cameras recording inside of the van, the suspect can be seen moving his hands behind his back, as if struggling and jolting his left arm back and forth. At approximately 1.57 a.m., the man in custody arrived at the detention center in Croydon, South London. From another angle, a CCTV captures him from the rear, exiting the police van. If you look at the footage closely, you can see a handcuff clearly secured to his right wrist. His skin is slightly exposed with both hands placed behind his back. However, the left hand is not visible, nor is the cuff, as both are completely obscured by the sleeve of his jacket. The individual is then seen being escorted to a small holding cell, where the two arresting officers meet with the custody officer on duty. Sergeant Matthew Ratna to discuss the charges. Uh, possession of a firearm, aka a bag of uh, what look like bullets. Uh, possession yeah. of defense supply class B. The arresting male officer can be heard as speaking about a firearm. However, a firearm was never recovered. He then corrects himself by referencing, quote, possession of bullets instead. He then goes on to make note of an additional charge of intent to distribute marijuana, which is a class B misdemeanor holding a maximum sentence of 90 days in jail. The custody sergeant, Matthew Rotna, is then heard inquiring if a further search should be conducted, this time with a metal detector. So you probably don't need a further search? Yes. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Just sit back, let's just wind them down, but don't take the cuffs off. Yeah, it's fine. Sergeant Matthew Rotna then exits the holding cell, while the two arresting officers ask the suspect to stand. Hey, uh, stand up, Mike. He's been a bit. Go on. Uh, I, don't um, I, think this is, this is I don't understand. Stand up. So please, please. What? 
From the CCTV audio, the suspect can be heard stuttering, saying, quote, this is it, this is it, please leave, to one of the officers. It's hard to make out what he's actually saying because he's mumbling under his breath. However, it almost sounds like he also utters the words, I think I'm going to pass on, pass on. As the suspect continues refusing commands, Sergeant Matt Rotna then returns to the holding cell as reinforcement. Okay, listen to me. My name's Matt. I'm the custody officer. I'm in charge. I'm not involved in the investigation. You've been arrested on suspicion of possession of bullets, uh, ammunition, and possession of intent to supply. Class B. Class B. Anything else? That's it. All right. Your detention's not been authorized yet, but I can authorize a search of you under Section 54 of PACE. Stand up. Sergeant Matthew Rotnick can be seen on surveillance footage with his back to the camera. The two arresting officers are standing alongside of him one directly to his right and the other to his left. The suspect is seen sitting on the holding cell bench, facing directly toward the camera. He hesitates for a moment and then something goes horribly wrong. At approximately 2.09 a.m., the man in handcuffs finally stands up, only to swing his right arm out from behind his back. In an instant, he produces a revolver and in one swift motion, he manages to let off one round firing it directly into the chest of Sergeant Matthew Rotna. As the sergeant falls to the floor, the gunman lets off another round, hitting Matthew Rotna for a second time, this one in the leg. As Sergeant Rotna lay bleeding out, gun smoke fills the holding cell. The two arresting officers then tackle the suspect, attempting to disarm him. Just then, during the struggle, the suspect manages to fire off a third round. The third shot ricochets off the cell wall, the bullet coming within inches of the other officers present. The male arresting officer continues yelling at the wounded sergeant, who is now out of the camera's field of view. The female officer then comes to her partner's aid. She struggles to produce a taser, but is unable to get a grip on it. Her glasses are then seen flying from her face and onto the floor. It's at this point the male officer somehow manages to get the shooter in a chokehold. A third officer is then seen rushing in, but quickly backs away as a fourth and final shot rings out, this one striking the gunman in his own neck. Just before shooting himself, the female officer successfully deployed her taser, at which point the blood-soaked revolver was finally released and could be seen on surveillance video skipping across the holding cell floor. Sergeant Matthew Rotna and the gunman were immediately rushed to the hospital, both suffering life-threatening injuries. The gunman was soon publicly identified as 23-year-old Louis DeZoiza. After sustaining a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his neck, he suffered a blood clot, which ultimately led to a stroke. He was then placed into a medically induced coma, and it was unclear if the shooter in this case would even survive. As for 54-year-old Sergeant Matthew Rotna, his fate had already tragically been determined. Forensic officers at the scene where a police colleague was shot and killed. The incident happened inside this custody centre in Croydon at around 2.15 this morning. 
It's understood the officer was searching a man who'd been detained here when the man pulled out a gun and shot him in the chest. Shortly after arriving at the hospital, Matthew Rotna succumbed to his injuries and was pronounced dead shortly thereafter. A murder investigation is now underway, but there will be questions about whether the suspect was searched before entering the building. The victim, Matthew Matt Rotna, was born on May 3, 1966. He grew up in Hawke's Bay, New Zealand. Matt was of Maori descent and was extremely proud of his indigenous Polynesian ancestry. For good reason at that. In 1949, his grandmother was the first Maori woman in history to represent the New Zealand Parliament. After graduating from Palmerston High School in New Zealand, Matt moved to the United Kingdom in 1989. In 1991, he joined the Metropolitan Police Force, where he served a total of 29 years. Matt returned back to his homeland of New Zealand in 2003, where he served for both Auckland City and County's Manuko Police before coming back to England in 2008. As far as passions went, Matt enjoyed performance motorcycles and weight training in the gym. He was extremely talented at tennis, but the game of rugby was his true love. He played for several elite clubs all across England, including the London Irish Amateurs. Once his playing career ended, Matt took up coaching for another former team of his, the East Grinstead Rugby Football Club in West Sussex. Welcome to East Grinstead Rugby Football Club. I'm Matt Ratner, head coach. His former team has since honored Matt on the East Grinstead Colts website, where he is currently listed as, quote, unsung hero and legend. These were just a few of the words echoed by countless people whose hearts Matt touched throughout the course of his life. Another term that came up time and time again was leader, which is exactly how Metro Police Commissioner Dame Cressida Dick chose to honor her fallen colleague. The Met is a family. Policing is a family in London and across the United Kingdom. And today, we police are all mourning a great loss. The day of the shooting, Home Secretary Priti Patel offered her condolences through the media as well. This is a sad day for our country as once again we see the tragic killing of a police officer in the line of duty as they are trying to protect us and keep us safe. Matthew Rotna was just two months shy of his eventual retirement from the Metropolitan Police Department when he was gunned down inside of a Croydon holding cell. But what makes this case even more devastating is that according to loved ones, Matt was preparing to propose to his partner of five years, Sue Bushby. Tragically, he was killed in the line of duty before he ever had the chance to. While the communities of Croydon and South London tried to make sense of this unfathomable tragedy, residents who lived near the detention center were still rattled from the events of the night before. In my house is that the light color blue, the, the light. I say, what happened? But coming plenty, plenty police, police and, and other people, and the ambulance, uh, ambulance, uh, is two, three ambulance, too much more um, police. It made me feel unsafe because, I mean, I've got kids with me, you know, so you're like wondering, going, them going to school, you're like, your heart is beating, not knowing what's going to happen to them. The morning after the shooting, investigators searched four properties, one being the gunman's, Louis DeZoyce's last known residence. On his remote farm located in the town of Banstead, England, there were multiple concrete bunkers. And information regarding whether or not DeZoysa made these bunkers himself and for what purpose was not being made available to the public. However, at approximately 5.40 a.m. that Saturday morning, 
a controlled explosion was detonated at the property by law enforcement. It's unclear if a bomb squad came upon what they believed to be some type of homemade explosive device, as very little information was being released, but thankfully no one was harmed during the sweep. What authorities did find was a large collection of weapons, including a sawed-off infantry rifle, a pipe gun, a duck-hunting dummy launcher, and various rounds of ammunition. Despite discovering the small weapons cache, the Metro Police reassured the public that this was an isolated incident. At this point, Louis de Zoysa was still unconscious, breathing through a tube and in critical condition. Unfortunately, both law enforcement and the victim's family could only wait to see if this individual would ever wake up again, and only time would tell if the shooter would be held criminally responsible, or if he'd take the easy way out by flatlining in the hospital. Perhaps the most obvious question, reiterated by former Metro Police Superintendent Leroy Logan, was how on earth this individual was able to conceal, retrieve, and effectively discharge his firearm while in police custody to begin with. How thorough was that search, and how would a weapon that's able to take someone's life be hidden to the extent that that person was able to produce it and, of course, use it not only on the officer but on themselves? The reason the officers didn't recognize the seven bullets found in Louis de Zoyce's coat pocket during the stop and search was because the rounds were homemade, fashioned by the gunman himself. If you watch the body cam footage during the initial encounter, it's extremely frustrating to see just how close officers actually came to finding the revolver holstered beneath his jacket, tucked into his armpit. The margin of error was literally centimeters, and the outcome was catastrophic. How this was even possible would require some painstaking analysis from internal investigators. After all, something like this just doesn't happen. But before police protocol could even be scrutinized, the first step was figuring out who the shooter actually was. And aside from the how, what compelled him to open fire inside of a police station and murder Custody Sergeant Ratna? The gunman, Louis de Zoyza, was born in Croydon, South London. His mother was British and his father of Sri Lankan descent. His dad was an electronics engineer who enjoyed yoga and beekeeping. He was also a cyclist enthusiast known to some as Dr. Bike for his generous repair clinics he offered in the neighborhood free of charge. Mom was equally accomplished. She had her career as a Dutch-English translator. Zoysa's mother also ran for Croydon City Council back in 2010. The killer, Louis, grew up in a Christian household along with his four siblings. He was described by some as highly intelligent. At age 13, he was diagnosed with autism. In 2015, Zoysa graduated from John Fisher, an all-boys Catholic school. He then went on to attend the University College of London, following in his father's footsteps with a focus in mechanical engineering. While Dezoisa earned A's in math, chemistry, and physics, he dropped out before earning his degree. After giving up on furthering his education, Dezoisa got a job as a computer coder, working for the United Kingdom government of all places, more specifically the HMRC, which is the nation's tax authority and revenue department. On paper, all of this sounds like an individual who came from a loving household, someone who had every opportunity in the world to be successful. However, there was also a much darker side to Louis de Zoysa's backstory that had yet to be revealed. 
but as it currently stood, he remained in a coma, and it would be several more months until his fate was ultimately realized. Meanwhile, Matthew Rotna's loved ones were left to pick up the pieces. Less than a month after the shooting, his former team, the East Grinstead Rugby Club, produced a video tribute to Matt entitled Unsung Hero. Yeah, Matt would ring me at uh, extraordinary times and I'd panic and pick the phone up and I'd go, yeah, what is it? And, and Matt would just say, just remember me, baby Jesus is watching you. And then he'd giggle and hang up and that would be it. The emotional montage was released in October of 2020 and submitted to the BBC in consideration for their Sports Personality of the Year Award, which was to be announced later that December. A few weeks later, Matthew Rotna was laid to rest on November 4th, 2020. Due to COVID-19, a private service was held and was broadcasted live via the Metropolitan Police's Facebook page. Matt's funeral was viewed by thousands across the globe. The intimate group of close friends, family, and law enforcement members took turns sharing their stories, along with messages of love in celebration of Matt's life. A close friend and Metro Police Detective Neil Perkin read a letter aloud from Matt's son, Luke. My dad, Matthew, was certainly larger than life and a man loved by so many people. It's deeply touching to see the tributes that have been paid to him and the outpouring of love and support from friends, family, work colleagues, the rugby community, the people of the United Kingdom and beyond. It makes me very proud to see the impact that he has had and how he's touched the lives of so many. This has been a devastating and tragic event, but nothing we can do can change what has happened. My wish is that people come together, support one another, and find solace and comfort in the sharing of their happy memories of Matthew's life. Goodbye, Dad. Rest in peace till we meet again, Luke. Flowers, candles, and his East Grinstead rugby jersey, along with Matt's police-issued field cap, could be seen in the livestream video, decorating a small table atop his home country's flag. A traditional Maori sword, known as a marae, was also pictured one donated by the New Zealand police. In Maori culture, it's tradition for the chief to hand down this fighting weapon to his son. Matt's only boy, Luke, honored his father with the following words. Dad, till we meet again, aroha nui. Which translates to much love in Maori. Following the service and outside of the church, members of the Maori tribe performed the haka, a ceremonial dance which acknowledges distinguished individuals and celebrates their great achievements. This episode is proudly brought to you by Honey Love. All right, we're in the midst of wedding season, everybody, and the verdict is finally in. My wife got a chance to rock her new Honey Love crossover bra and superpower briefs, and they're a win. She loved how comfortable and unmovable they were on the dance floor at a recent ceremony way up in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota this past weekend. And here's the deal. I know I'm a dude, but I listen to my wife and I see what she goes through. I've also seen her do the Wiggly Wire hustle at weddings in the past. No, that's not a clever dance move, by the way. It's her constantly readjusting her old, bulky underwire bra to keep everything stable while on the move. 
She really raved about the bra in particular because she said it felt like a second skin. And Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that eliminate the need for underwire without sacrificing lift. And if you're tired of bras that cause bulging in the back, Honey Love's bras are designed with back-smoothing fabric to prevent the bra bulge. Treat yourself to the best bras on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash choir. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off at honeylove.com slash choir. After your purchase, they ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them that we sent you. It's time to ditch the underwire for good, thanks to Honey Love. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Lumi. Ah, fall is in the air. Pumpkin spice lattes, freshly picked apples, and terrible BO. Let's face it, summer isn't the only time we get body odor. And if you're like me and Brenda down the hall keeps the thermostat set to 84 all day at the office, things can get a little sweaty and stinky just about everywhere. That's why I keep a stick of Lumi whole body deodorant in my office. It's the first of its kind. Lumi is seriously safe to use anywhere on your body. That's why I love it. You can use it in your pits, under boobs, thigh folds, belly buttons, butt cracks, nut sacks, vulvas, and even your feet. You guys, seriously, the other thing I love about this stuff is that it doesn't leave this uncomfortable residue under your arms or wherever you put it. And it's clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. How? Unlike other deodorants that try to mask odor with a fragrance, Lumi is formulated and powered by mandelic acid to stop odor before it starts. So it's more like a pre-odorant. And look, if you want to give them a try, you got to get the Lumi's starter pack. It's perfect for new customers. Comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice, like the mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code CHOIR at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code CHOIR. That's L-U-M-E-Deodorant.com and use code CHOIR. Though the gunman was still receiving treatment in the hospital, he would ultimately survive. Louis DeZoysa was left with permanent brain damage from shooting himself in the neck after killing Sergeant Ratna. Roughly two months after the deadly incident, Louis DeZoysa was finally arrested on November 13, 2020. The heartache that this tragedy created seemed immeasurable. Matthew Ratna's passing affected so many, and while what would happen next in regards to the legal process was uncertain, Matt's loved ones never sat idly by when it came to commemorating and honoring his life. As a result of his former team's hard work on the video montage created by the East Grinstead Rugby Club, Matthew Ratna won the BBC's Sports Personality of the Year Award posthumously. And in December of 2020, some three months after he was murdered, his partner Sue Bushby was there to accept the award on his behalf. I am honored to be standing here to accept this award tonight. Matt is and will always be my hero. And now his legacy for the love of rugby will live on through the Rugby Foundation. Thank you, Sue, as well, for coming tonight and sharing more you. of your memories. Thank you. We all wish you our very best love and support. Thank you. As far as Louis de Zoysa goes, several more months would pass before he was actually charged with a crime. And once he was finally medically cleared, he was charged with the murder of Matthew Ratna on June 29th, 2021. A few months later, it was already the one-year anniversary of the beloved Metro Police Sergeant's death. 
Friends, family, former teammates, coaches, and co-workers all came out to celebrate Matt, coming together to share their experiences with the man who was so highly regarded in his community. We're a very small community in England, and it affects us. But I'm really honoured to be here and share, share this uh, memorial service for Matt Ratana, how much he affected within the police, within the rugby. One man, you know, and, and it only goes to show for us. One man can make a difference. Matthew Ratna's legacy would prove to be much more than just the first member of law enforcement to be killed inside of a police station in the United Kingdom's history. More that he was the first officer to be fatally shot in the line of duty in the last eight years since the double murder of Nicola Hughes and Fiona Bone. These two female officers were ambushed and killed by a man firing a Glock pistol, who also discharged a hand grenade back in 2012. And yet, it's needless to say that the rarity of this kind of homicide was largely why it took so long for Louis de Zoysa to see his first day in court, that and his compromised mental capacity as well. However, nearly three years after the shooting, the gunman appeared via video link to plead not guilty to the murder of Matthew Rotna on April 28, 2023. In June of that year, Louis de Zoysa's trial finally began. However, on the eve before opening arguments were set to begin, the defense made a last-minute plea to the judge, requesting that the jury be allowed to visit the, quote, claustrophobic jail cell where Matthew Rotna was killed. The reason was to support their claims of diminished responsibility on the grounds of autism spectrum disorder. DeZoyce's attorneys argued that a visit to the holding cell would help jurors better understand why he discharged the weapon that he had covertly brought into the police station that morning, effectively killing one man and permanently incapacitating himself. After his lawyers requested that four jurors be shuffled into the holding cell at a time to recreate the anxiety their client felt that day, the judge decided he'd finally had enough and their request was denied. At trial, Louis de Zoysa appeared in a wheelchair and sling that held his right arm. He responded with one-word answers, short phrases, and by scribbling on a small whiteboard that sat on the desk in front of him. Many of de Zoysa's drawings were difficult to decipher. However, he was accompanied by a verbal and visual aide who helped clarify his communications to the jury. When asked if he was aware that Matthew Rotna had been killed, de Zoysa nodded his head yes and said that he felt, quote, sad about it. And while the former tax analyst turned cop killer had suffered lifelong brain damage, the prosecution reminded the jury that there was nothing about this man worth feeling sorry for. They painted DeZoysa as being much more sinister than his defense made him out to be and would provide the jury with ample evidence to support that argument. The court was shown surveillance video from the night of the murder. The jury watched intently as Louis DeZoysa brandished the weapon and fired several shots including the round that ultimately killed Matthew Rotna. And when DeZoysa was asked if he was in fact the shooter pictured in the video, the defendant acknowledged that he was. And when the prosecution asked him if he knew what the term murder meant, he responded by stating, quote, kill. When the defense asked if he was indeed guilty of murder, DeZoysa said no, however, later confessed that he wasn't sure what the word guilty even meant. DeZoysa was then asked if he intended to kill himself that day, and if he meant to shoot himself in the neck. Again, he responded by stating no. In addition, it was suggested that DeZoysa was going to quote, pass out, not pass on, 
before fatally shooting Sergeant Matt Rotna, as could be heard on the surveillance video. While the topic of whether or not the defendant tried to commit suicide remains debatable and hardly seems relevant, it was the defense's job to convince the jury that this man was simply in a state of panic and that he was under extreme duress and was not legally responsible for his actions due to his autism spectrum disorder specifically. Throughout the trial, DeZoyce's attorneys characterized Matthew Rotna's death as being the result of a, quote, autistic meltdown, going on record to state that the defendant acknowledges having fired the weapon, but that it was an accident and that he did not intend to kill Sergeant Rotna. Despite discharging the weapon directly at his chest from point-blank range, ballistics testing along with the surveillance video would grossly refute this claim. In fact, the ballistics expert who tested the murder weapon would eventually take the stand as well. And when asked by the prosecution if the gun ever misfired during the meticulous stage of the investigation, the expert stated that it did not. In terms of a potential motive, clearly running into Louis de Zoysa on the streets of London the morning of September 25, 2020, occurred purely by chance. However, the state presented a theory that the homemade bullets were actually meant for someone else that day, and DeZoysa was simply stopped in his tracks before he could commit an entirely different murder. From evidence revealed in court, Louis DeZoysa had a contentious relationship with his family, more specifically with his father. Reports showed that he suffered physical abuse for the majority of his childhood, and in court, DeZoysa himself drew a crude image on the whiteboard when asked about his family. It was a depiction of a child attempting to protect himself against a much larger stick figure, one that was yielding a knife. It was his father, and Mr. DeZoysa had been accused of pulling a knife on a family member years before. Louis DeZoysa also wrote words such as coke, drug dealer, and criminal on the whiteboard suggesting that his father was a rageful man fueled by drugs who took his plight out on his son in the form of physical violence. With the help of his aides, Louis de Zoysa was able to recall another incident where his father threw a block of wood at him and struck him in the face. His father was also, in fact, arrested for yet another incident where he broke his son Louis's foot. The defendant proceeded to draw a picture of himself wearing a cast on the whiteboard to help explain the matter. Prior reports also indicate that Child Protective Services made routine visits to the family home for over a decade. Louis' mother also filed for a restraining order against her husband. The marriage only became more tumultuous after his wife restricted funds from Mr. DeZoyce's bank account years before. In school, Louis was bullied. He was unathletic, excelled in math, and was labeled a, quote, geek by his peers. Somewhere in the midst of the abuse at home and at school, where classmates allegedly whipped him with chains, Louis de Zoysa developed an interest in firearms. On one occasion, he faced disciplinary action for actually bringing an airsoft gun to school. Meanwhile, back at home, his parents managed to maintain the facade of a successful, loving family, at least as far as outer appearances went. By his early teens, Louis de Zoysa became physically stronger and was boiling over with resentment. He began to fight back against his father, and this led to even more chaos behind closed doors than ever before. The court heard how Louis de Zoysa once beat his father with a metal rod, broke a part of the stairs, and then set fire to a carpet in one of the bedrooms. 
The defendant told the court that this particular incident was, quote, possibly due to autism. By the time DeZoysa reached high school, he had become infatuated with the dark web. He would brag to peers about knowing how to discreetly purchase guns illegally and even how to hire hitmen online. A former friend recalled how DeZoysa began using his software skills to design guns himself using the school's computers. It was around this time he also allegedly began watching ISIS beheading videos. A 2017 photograph shows DeZoysa holding a medieval sword from when he was in college. And according to the prosecution, it was during these years where his affinity for weapons grew into an outright obsession, although the searching of ISIS beheadings for the sake of shock value soon took an even darker turn, devolving into a far more serious interest in far-right extremism. Two years before the murder, Louis de Zoiza was placed under government surveillance. Due to his online activity, he was referred to the PREVENT program, a government-established organization created to prevent individuals from joining radicalized terrorist groups. De Zoiza was assessed at the time, though he was ultimately deemed unthreatening. In addition, the jury was shown body cam footage from a June 2019 incident when Louis de Zoiza was arrested for assaulting his father. 999 emergency was called after DeZoiza kicked his father off of a bicycle during an argument. This particular occurrence took place roughly 15 months before Matthew Rotna was shot and killed. After dropping out of college, Louis DeZoiza abandoned the family home and was living on the farm right up until his arrest, the one located just 13 miles south of central London. It was during this period DeZoiza ironically excelled in his government career field. However, behind the scenes, he was slowly retreating even further into isolation. He smoked cannabis to excess to mitigate his stress and eventually began making do-it-yourself explosives and detonating them on his land. And roughly two months before the murder, Louis de Zoiza legally purchased a 41 caliber antique revolver in June of 2020. This was the very same weapon he used to kill Sergeant Rotna later that September. DeZoysa purchased the weapon from an online antique auction, and though he was not required to have a gun license because the weapon was considered an obsolete relic. Also, ammunition for this particular revolver was no longer manufactured, and hadn't been for some time. But as we mentioned earlier, DeZoysa was able to fashion makeshift bullets for that revolver himself, six of which filled the chamber the morning Matt Rotna was killed. On his remote land, DeZoiza packed the casings with gunpowder and pressed them manually. He also tested the ammunition and revolver on several occasions. DeZoiza told the court that he purchased the gun during the pandemic as a form of self-protection. He believed there would eventually be food shortages, and so he bought the weapon to hunt wildlife for means of survival at the early onset of COVID-19. As far as the materials go that he used to make those homemade bullets... They were purchased online also. For whatever reason, the jury was not made aware of the additional weapons found at DeZoyza's residence following the murder, such as the sawed-off rifle. But when the defendant was asked the general question, how do you feel about violence, he responded with one word, brewing. The evidence regarding abuse at home and school were agreed upon facts by both the prosecution and the defense, and the defendant's father, Mr. DeZoiza, 
was not present in court during the presentation of the alleged violence. The prosecution's theory was that Louis de Zoysa was on a vengeful mission to kill his father the morning of September 25, 2020, when he was stopped by officers for suspicion of burglary at about 1 o'clock that morning, his original plan was foiled, but only for a new agenda to be born. While he verbally stammered to police on the streets of Norbury, Zoysa fiddled with his coat pocket and again when he was placed into the back of the cruiser. Zoysa's parents lived in Norbury, and during the initial stop and search, he was also recorded on body cam stating that his parents were expecting him home even though he no longer resided at their house and hadn't spoke with them in quite some time. According to the prosecution, the defendant almost made it to his parents' residence that morning and was well on his way from his farm in the town of Banstead. Only before he arrived, he was arrested. And while being transferred to the custody center in Croydon, DeZoysa managed to maneuver his right hand just enough to retrieve the revolver from under his left arm. The court heard evidence that Louis de Zoysa retrieved the gun from its holster approximately 16 long minutes before the shooting took place. As he made his way out of the van and into the police station, he clenched the weapon firmly against his spine. He then sat on a bench, holding his body tightly against the holding cell wall, utilizing a vent to better hide the gun. Shortly after, when Matthew Rotna was about to search him thoroughly with a metal detector, DeZoysa stood up, briefly exposed the weapon, aimed, and then fired. Due to Louis DeZoysa's current debilitated mental state, we may never know what was actually going through his mind in the moments leading up to the shooting. Regardless, he would soon face the inevitable consequences of his actions. By the end of the third week of trial, it was up to the jury to decide Louis DeZoysa's fate. But first, the victim impact statements would be made. Matt's partner, Sue Bushby, said that she cannot forgive the man she only knows as, quote, a cowardly killer, the individual who ripped their very lives and livelihoods apart. My heart is broken and my life feels empty. Matt and I have been robbed of a future together. Matthew Rotna's only son, Luke, was just 16 years old when his father was murdered. He later became an Australian police officer in the wake of this tragedy. But Luke admitted to his uncertainty in the court about moving forward with a career in law enforcement after his father's death. Matt's murder has caused enormous trauma in my life. I have questioned whether I should continue on as a police officer. It is an overtly difficult job now made worse by the circumstances of my father's death. Through this ordeal, I have learned more about my father. I am immensely proud of him and I will always love him. The victim's son also went on to express that he feels no ill will toward the arresting officers the morning of Matt Rotna's death, and that the only one who should feel guilty is Louis de Zoysa. In the end, the expert testimony presented by the state regarding the defendant's autism disorder was profound. They provided clinical-based evidence indicating that autism alone simply does not cause one to become violent, and while autism can certainly hinder social interactions, the state suggested that any communication difficulty held little to no bearing on DeZoysa's decision to kill Sergeant Rotna. It was also noted that the defendant had over an hour to consider what he was going to do, from the time he was initially arrested to the moment he fired the first shot, thus presenting a certain level of premeditation in the killing. And with that, on June 23, 2023, 
a verdict was finally returned. First, in the past half an hour, a man has been found guilty here in the UK of murdering Metropolitan Police Officer Matt Ratner, who was shot in the chest inside a South London police station. Uh, Louis de Souza used an antique revolver which he'd smuggled into a holding cell at Croydon Custody Centre to shoot Sergeant Ratner back in 2020. Uh, he was handcuffed at the time. 26-year-old Louis de Zoysa was found guilty of murder in Northampton Crown Court. Outside, Matt's partner, Sue Bushby, spoke briefly with the media. Today is about the justice for Matt. His life was taken too soon in the line of duty, doing a job that he loved. A cruel end to a lifetime of service and dedication protecting others. Whilst the court case has concluded... The constant feeling of grief and loss continues. My love for Matt, my gentle giant, will never end. He will never be forgotten. Ahead of sentencing, the killer's mother provided a written letter to the judge, begging for a chance at her son's rehabilitation instead of a life behind bars. On July 27, 2023, the justice of the court addressed the defendant directly before imposing the final ruling. Just a note for our listeners here, the following has been edited down from the full 21-minute dissertation for comprehension purposes. You said that you had an autistic meltdown. You said that you had diminished responsibility. The jury disagreed. The jury found you guilty of murder. The sentence for murder is set by law. It is life imprisonment. The law requires the court to decide whether to set a minimum term order or a whole life order. A minimum term order means that you can be considered for release after the minimum term. A whole life order means that you remain in custody for the rest of your life. A sentence of imprisonment for life with a whole life order is a sentence of last resort. It is for cases of the most extreme gravity. They include the murder of a police officer or a prison officer in the execution of his or her duty. You did not have an autistic meltdown. Your actions were voluntary. They were controlled. They were deliberate. You acted in cold blood. The aggravating factors, in my judgment, outweigh the mitigating factors. Louis de Zoyza, I sentence you to imprisonment for life. I impose a whole life order. That means you will remain in custody for the rest of your life. You may now be taken from the dock. Louis de Zoyza will never be granted the possibility of parole, making him just the 65th convict in all of the United Kingdom currently serving a whole life order. Even though justice finally prevailed in this case, the Metro Police received a great deal of criticism regarding the ineffective search the day this tragedy took place. Following the guilty verdict, former Metro Police Detective Peter Blexley offered his opinion on the controversial matter. In my experience, bullets mean only one thing to me, and that's a gun. Where's the gun? The veil, or not the veil, but the but the polite tone for me would have dropped. And this is where I'm afraid we have to say 
the, the stop and search of the Zoiser fell short. Now, it's obvious that a mistake of this magnitude requires a hard, diligent look at due process when it comes to the arrest of any suspect. After Sergeant Rotten's death, changes were enacted. Officers with Metro PD are now required to wear bulletproof vests, even indoors at the custody center. In addition, patrol officers on the streets would now be equipped with metal detection wands moving forward. As far as the officers who conducted the initial stop and search of Louis de Zoysa, the presumed burden of Matthew Rotna's death is an unimaginably heavy load to carry, and the Independent Office for Police Complaints conducted their investigation, ultimately concluding that the officers could have searched the suspect more thoroughly, though they did not break police protocol in failing to do so. As a result, neither officer faced charges or disciplinary action, as it related to their positions in law enforcement. Metro Police Commissioner Rowley reinforced the support of his officers publicly to the media. The officers and staff on duty the night Matt was murdered showed just those attributes. Without their courage, I believe that more lives would certainly have been lost. I'm immensely proud of their professionalism and their bravery. They have my enduring admiration and my full support. Thank you. The victim's family have all gone public on record to express their support for Matt's former colleagues. Not recovering the suspect's weapon in time was a tragic accident, and while it is the worst of its kind, Matthew Rotna's legacy and personality is what his family hopes will live on forever. Morning, take three, still getting used to this uh, social media stuff. Uh, great day on the south coast, I just flick it around. Just get in my little fat boys run. About to start that. Um, loads of people down enjoying the sun. And we're looking forward to another training session at East Grinstead Rugby Club. Got 39 boys coming along again tonight. I don't know. Had a good attendance on Tuesday. So, yeah, going really well. Uh, looking forward to working with the lads. Uh, it's got some great coaches, everyone involved. So, it's good energy building. Not sure when the season's going to start. But hey, we don't care, we're just going to keep going and see what happens. Anyway, lots of love to you all around the world, wherever you are, enjoy what you're doing, and um, speak soon. Better start this fat boys run. Take care. Without even having ever met this man, you could probably sense from the previous audio clip that Matt posted this to his Facebook, and that he was exactly as his friends described him a ball of energy with an unmatched sense of humor, and someone you simply wanted to be around. Police officers risk their lives every day, and Matthew Rotna was no different. Where he did stand alone, however, was in his admirable dedication to his family, friends, colleagues, teammates, heritage, and community. He reached so many, even in death, including former United Kingdom Prime Minister Boris Johnson, and Prince William of the royal family, both of whom offered their sympathies. What else can you say about a guy like this individual that has not already been said? I suppose the only thing left on our end would be to say to rest in peace. Matthew Rotna is a true legend and a hero we'd like to think is no longer unsung. 